Welcome to Lynn Cullen Live, talk radio without the static. Email your questions and comments to lynn at pghcitypaper.com. And now your host, Lynn Cullen. Hey, uh, welcome to the show. That was that was the beginning, right? It was a strangely subdued little beep I heard in my ear. Hey, how you doing? It's uh, it's a Wednesday, December sixteenth. All just sitting here waiting for the snow to start. I see a few meandering meandering little flakes showing themselves outside my window. Uh, so. I want to uh, begin on a a different note today. Uh, I find the present uh, and the news uh, often pretty stultifying, depressing. So I want to go back a little bit. Uh, For some reason, in my omnivorous kind of uh, reading, that I do day in and day out, I I keep seeing pieces um, about women and their lives. And these are extraordinary women who I don't know about. And I've been thinking more and more about how, again, history and mythology, the stories we tell ourselves, how our histories have removed so many of the people who were so consequential and important, but they aren't acknowledged, aren't known, aren't credited because they were not men. And this, of course, is the same complaint that any person of color would have looking at history, too. Make no mistake, our history, what we know is a history of white Christian men. And the world is so much bigger than that. And when you think of the fact that black and brown people and women have lived in this man's world forever, and yet have managed to do extraordinary things, despite the fact that they are not given the kind of credit or value that a man would have, a man who might be exalted for something that a black woman would not be acknowledged one whit about. This is a story that plays out over and over and over again. And so I just want to start with a few things that have come across my you know, my my eyes in the last few days um, about just some of these women. Um, you may have seen that today is the anniversary of uh, Ludwig von Beethoven's 
birth 250 years ago. Uh, Beethoven, ar arguably one of the, the great uh, composers of all time, especially given the fact that he was losing his hearing throughout m much of the time he was creating masterpieces. Um, and then even with his hearing gone, it's pretty astonishing. I want to instead turn from him to a woman who was described as probably his best friend. A woman was Beethoven, who was a cantankerous soul, was his best friend. But she was more than that. Her name was Nanette Stryker. And she was born in Germany in 1769. Her father was a piano maker. And at the age of eight, she played in front of a man who had also at the age of eight and even earlier been lauded for his piano work. At the age of eight, Manette played for Mozart, who grumbled about her posture but said that she had genius. She ended up taking over her father's business at the age of 23 as a young wife and mother. 23 years old, she takes over a business and changed the way the pianos were made. She wanted to create a different tone. And Beethoven went berserk with her instrument. He, he was blown away. And so this is the woman who made the pianos that Beethoven, the only pianos he would play on. Who would know? She was a mother. She buried some of her children. She's running a large business. She's changing the very nature of what the piano is. And get this, if this isn't classic, classic sexism at work. Here's a woman doing things that no woman was supposed to be doing. And Beethoven, besides wanting her to produce the pianos, the only pianos he would play, said to her, I want you to manage my house. She had her own house. But she agreed. She took care of his laundry. She mended his socks. She bought his groceries. 
all of this is noted because he would send her letters of what he wanted done. And he was paranoid. He thought everyone else was out to poison him. And she was the only person he trusted. So by assuming control of his chaotic, slightly nuts household, she freed him up. And it was during this period that he composed some of his most ambitious piano sonatas. Anyway, who knew? I never heard of her. The thought that a woman would be running a factory that made pianos in the early 1800s, but was still expected, of course, not only to care for her house, her children, her husband, but to take Ludwig von Beethoven on as well. And we don't know her name. Nanette Stryker. And we don't know her name because scholars and historians who specialized in telling us about Beethoven were all men. And they just couldn't couldn't get it through their heads that an 18th century woman could build a piano, let alone create a brand of piano, let alone becoming the helpmate that Beethoven so desperately needed. She has been written out of much of that history. So there's one woman. You know, I might not seem like a big deal, but amplify it over and over and over and over again. And then go, as I said, beyond women, go to anyone who's not a white male Christian. We don't honor them. We don't even know them. And it brings me to my obituary of the day. Lydia Menapache. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Menapache. Menapache. There I got it. Menapache. I took one year of Italian in school, so Menapachi, Lydia Menapachi. Uh, she um, died last week at the age of 96, but what a life. She smuggled explosives under her skirts in the Italian countryside as a member of the resistance. She delivered maps and, and 
anti-fascist propaganda. She stored bombs in her family's basement. She organized jailbreaks. She was 19 years old. She shepherded escaping Jews to the Swiss border. She did it all, brought medicine on her bicycle to partisans who were wounded and hiding in the mountains. She did whatever they the need required. She risked her life constantly. Lydia Manopache. And when the war was finally won, they told her she couldn't march in the liberation parade that was organized by the resistance even though she had been a major part of that effort. She was told she couldn't march because she was a woman. And so immediately after all of her heroics, her contribution and the contribution of other women were buried were discarded, were not acknowledged, because somehow it took away from what the men had accomplished. She marched anyway. And after fighting fascists, she turned to fighting sexists. before there was even a name for it. She exposed the efforts to erase the roles that women had played as partisans. In a book she wrote, she said, the chiefs, the chiefs of the resistance preferred that their power and leadership were not shared with women. They took everything, credit, power, and historical memory. And there it is again. I keep seeing it. I keep coming upon it. How the credit, the power, and the history that then is thought to be truth is created by fragile white men and the indispensable role of all the others are thrown into the ash can of history.
she later became uh, a senator in the Italian Senate very late in life. And here's a quote from a interview she did in April. What did I learn from the resistance? To live with fear and overcome it. Man, I got to tell you, I'm going to write that down because that is what we all must do now. To live with fear and overcome it. Okay? These amazing words. She was 96 years old, had a lifetime of experience to know that. And it's how she lived. And now, for the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say, she was quoted in the Italian newspaper La, La Repubblica with what I just said. What did I learn from the resistance to live with fear? and overcome it. And then she said, and now let us get rid of this virus. It was the virus that took her life. On December 7th, Lydia Manapache. Oh, man, to live with fear and overcome it. If I did needlepoint, I would do a pillow or a little hanging. <laughs> live with fear and overcome it. If I was into tattoos, I would have it tattooed on my arm so I would see it all the time. Live with fear and overcome it. There was a story in the paper today about a woman who couldn't anymore live with fear and so she cut and ran and I am not going to I am not going to second guess her her name is Joyce Warshaw she was until yesterday the mayor of Dodge City <laughs> which we all know from countless histories of the West. <laughs> God knows how apocryphal all those histories are. She was the mayor of uh, Dodge City, Kansas. And um, she was attempting to institute a mandate that the city commission had voted that everyone in town must wear masks 
indoors. Obviously not in their own homes, but indoors. You had to have a mask on. And she has been, she had been subjected to so much abuse and threats that she quit yesterday. She said that she couldn't live with that level of threat and fear. So chalk one up for the bullies, the cowards and bullies that sent her all the anonymous messages that told her to burn in hell, that told her we're coming for you. And she said they were loud and they were aggressive and they frightened me and my family. She had been a public servant almost her entire life. She said, there's a strong part of me that wants to say their only words, but people are so angry right now. And I don't know that for sure. Yeah, she's right. They are only words until... Just one person decides to act. And you think of all the one spewing words now, and there's more than one person that will likely act. Just as one guy here two years ago walked into that synagogue a few blocks from where I sit right now and blew away wonderful people praying. I don't fault her for not being able to live with this fear and to overcome it. But man, we're going to have to start because it's going nowhere. There was a story in the, what was this, the Washington Post today that I couldn't even believe. I mean, I couldn't, reading it, I couldn't even take it in. And and that that is a that is something that is happening more and more and more. Of course, it's an experience that we're all having more and more and more, because so many in our country have literally gone insane. Okay, let's just call it what it is. There are crazy people on the loose all over the place, and a lot of them are carrying guns. And they think you are the enemy, I am the enemy. And they are whipped up into a lather. So did you hear this one? An air conditioning repairman was driving his air conditioning repairman truck in Houston when he got rear-ended by a black SUV. He got out of his truck and the driver of the SUV jumped out of his vehicle and pointed a gun 
at the air conditioner repairman's head. The driver, he called police, the SUV guy. As he held a gun to this guy's head, as he forced him onto the ground and kept a knee in his back, calling the cops and telling him, I will kill you if you move. When the police arrived, the SUV driver said, you want to arrest this man? I've done a citizen's arrest. You want to arrest him because he is part of a vast election fraud scheme. And there are about 750,000 fake ballots stuffed inside his truck. Now, understand this happened before the election. This happened in October, okay? There's a terrified air conditioner repairman face down on the pavement. And the guy holding him there has called the police. What I didn't tell you is the truck was not there when the cops came. Because the guy who made the citizen's arrest and called the police had accomplices in his SUV who had jumped in the air conditioning guy's truck and took off with it to secure these almost million false ballots. Needless to say, It was all ridiculous. The truck was full of nothing but air conditioning parts. And this gunman who did the citizen's arrest was a former captain in the Houston Police Department who was now in the employ of a right-wing lunatic organization called Liberty Center for God and Country. Just another wonderful neo-fascist, out-of-its-mind group funded by Republican mega-donors. Do you know what they paid this ex-cop? to ferret out this unbelievable crime, they paid him over a quarter of a million dollars. The Liberty Center for God and Country. They gave this cop $266,400. First they told him, what was happening, then they told him to prove it. Somehow he happened upon this air conditioning truck and decided that this is where the election was being stolen.
the guy who, the cop, ex-cop, and his friends told the police, we are investigating a voter fraud conspiracy, and it's operated by this guy, supposedly the air conditioning guy. He said that they'd been surveilling his house, the AC guy's house, for four days, and they knew. He had hundreds of thousands of fraudulent ballots in his house and in his truck. And you know what else they knew? They said he was using Hispanic children to sign the ballots because their fingerprints would not appear in any databases. This guy told the cop he summoned, who was obviously a little flummoxed, I just hope you're a patriot. Needless to say, the police found absolutely no evidence of voter fraud or anything after the poor air conditioner repairman said, yeah, you can look in my truck, you can look in my house. No Hispanic little kids, no ballots. Wow. So there you have it. Uh, just some of what is going on in um, your country. <laughs> It's like, you know, if kids misbehave, like the father might say to the mother, your children, yeah, I'm, dis I'm disavowing anything having to do with this country right now. The your country this is happening in, and this is just one. I mean, this is just one. So obviously the ex-cop is now on is going to go on trial for what he did. He's posted a bond of 30 thou. I guess he's going to be back in court tomorrow. This is just constant insanity. People have lost their minds. Oh, I lost my mind, too, because you know what I forgot? I forgot that I'm being joined by the news editor of Pittsburgh City Paper. Ryan Dito. Hi, Ryan. Hey, Lynn. Hey, how, how you on, doing? Man. Huh? Doing okay. I said, you are? I said thanks for having me on. Yeah. You, what, what was that last thing you said? Why am I having trouble hearing you? I was just you? saying thanks. I was just saying thanks for having me on again. Oh, okay. You need to enunciate. Have I told you that before? <laughs> this is a problem with my entire family. I'm sorry. <laughs> What do you mean your entire family mumbles or you oh, yeah. oh yeah. You're a bunch of mumblers? We're we're a bunch of mumblers who don't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> well, I come from a family of people who don't shut up either, but I would say only my brother mumbles. <laughs> I say, well, obviously you don't mumble because you're I a do uh, 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 right. and uh, and uh, you know um, I learned you know, personality. Yes. Yes, I learned to enunciate. So, well, I'm anyway, a, I'm a writer, what? so I don't do any of that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
gosh. Well, listen, there's a lot of stuff going on in the world. I'm choosing not to look at it much today. That's a good for idea. My, yeah, for my sanity. And um, I thought we'd turn uh, to you to bring us up to date on some of what's going on um, in in town, some yeah. of which I have talked about myself. I've certainly talked. You, you've got a big piece out today on uh, – Michael Fuoco. I do, yes. The, the former, <laughs> the former, let's well, see, he's former a lot of things now, right? Yeah, uh, a, yeah former, former, former head of the newspaper uh, guild at the PG, former uh, instructor at Point Park and University of Pittsburgh, former uh, police, um, didn't he cover reporter? the police? Yeah. Yeah, yeah police yes, reporter at the yeah. Post-Gazette. Yes, for, yeah, for like a decade. Yeah, former lots of things, but he has been um, unmasked as a serial sexual harasser. Yeah. Um, and it's an interesting story. And, you know, I thought, well, what, what could you add to it since, God, the New York Times? Wasn't, didn't you yeah. find that surprising? that the New York times found that story to be of worthy yeah, of almost uh, a full page of reporting. What do you think brought yeah. that on? Um, well, I, I, I know the reporter who works at the time, so I didn't find it as surprising because I knew the story was coming, but, <laughs> but, uh, um, well, why did he think yeah, that this I, was worthy of, I mean, uh, on, you know, yeah. the okay, paper um, of record? Yeah, honestly. Um, I think, I think he thought it was worthy because, um, he's a, I mean, one, he's a media reporter, so he covers right. media and because this was a, you know, this involved a, a, a media personality in, um, you know, the form of Fuoco and, and a labor, um, you know, issue with the uh, guild that represents the, uh, journalists at the, um, you know, at the Post-Gazette. But I think also it, it, it really was just like, I mean, from what I've heard, I've been reporting here six years, um, five, five or six years, you know, this this whole focal situation was like kind of a big open secret. And I think it really was just like waiting for somebody to um, kind of take the lid off of it. And, uh, you know, but you what's know. interesting, isn't that interesting though? It was an open secret in certainly at the paper and right. maybe at these educational institutions. Yeah. And this the paper is a journalistic organ. The institutions were asking him to teach journalism. Journalists are not supposed to keep open (laughs) secrets. It's particularly bizarre. It, 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 it is. And I really think it is a, you know, it's a, you know, it's a me too story. It's, 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 it's really one of those things where it's like, well, why wasn't this talked about? But I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm 34. So I don't remember as much like what it was like in the 2000s. I was like a teenager, but, um, you know, I just think that's from what I've heard from all the people that I, you know, that I spoke to for my story is that it just wasn't really talked about. And like women did come forward and they did, you know, make complaints, but they didn't file official complaints, but like, did, did, did anyone really file official complaints that they, that they, did they just believe that they would go nowhere? Also, are we expecting 22 year olds to file official complaints, you know, when they're no. probably scared? Against, wait, a, a complaint against a powerful. Yeah. 
a, a powerful, uh, much more senior mentor. Right, right, and right. like, and and, right. and and I think people need to understand the context too. That like, during this time of the 2000s and even the two, you know, and even the 2010s, Foucault was a star in terms of his, uh, you know, his his journalistic ability. He had won multiple awards for articles he'd written. He he was kind of considered one of the like, um, you know better enterprise reporters at the Post-Gazette, which was a massive paper at that time. And it's still yeah. large, but it was massive then. Like 400 people on staff, I heard at the time. I mean, that's huge. And and so he was really considered one of the like more looked up to reporters, you know, in this in this town. And so, yeah, I, I mean, I think it's a combination of things. I think it's a combination of his power. And I think it's a combination that um, America just wasn't really uh, you know, coming forward with these stories and taking it seriously because these stories always had been coming forward. Like if you look at Bill Clinton, right? These things were always coming forward, but people weren't necessarily taking them with the same seriousness or the same or 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 applying the same accountability that they're that people are trying to do now. If that makes sense. And you know, I mean, what you, you, you I, I, it, I felt like I had to take a shower after reading your piece. It I mean, was, it, it was. <laughs> He was he is so repulsive in the piece. I mean, the grooming, the, the going after these young girls, he seems to particularly like 22 year olds. And I right. mean, this is when he's in his 60s. Right. And he takes them. Yeah. yeah. And he takes them to bars to tell them ostensibly how to get ahead in journal, you know, just classic. Let me show you my etchings, moves in right. on them, uh, right. uses everything he can, flattery, uh, the yep. possibility of uh, helping them uh, in their careers, yep. uh, drugs, uh, cocaine, yep. marijuana, alcohol, yep. all of yep. that. He's doing this not just with one at a time. He's got more than one. He's also got a wife, a fellow reporter, is that marriage still together, by the way? I, I haven't found anything that said that it isn't. So I don't, I mean, You're it might kidding. Not be, but yeah, I mean. Didn't I mean, she always wrote about the, pets? Yeah. She wrote about one animals. Of, one of the more shocking things that I found was, was really just this Point Park story that came. I mean, this Point Park Globe story, a student newspaper story that came out in 2010 um, that uh, quoted his wife talking about him for a profile after he was hired as an adjunct. And it was like, and I, but from all the reporting I did was that like Fulco had been, you know, accused several times over, um, you know, before this, he had already had a child with one of, you know, the students he had gotten in a relationship with. Um, right. And, you know, he was taken to, you know, court over those, um, you know, um, right. For over support. that. So, right. so, so like it, 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 it did appear that his, his wife uh, knew and, um, was okay with it and um it it's 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 really a it was in the same way that i think people were gonna struggle reading it is that it was hard to write like it was it was just you know obviously not nearly as hard as any of the women that you know came forward and talked to me they were they're just so brave and 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 really just like um you know i just i really commend them a lot of them came on the record too which i thought was i know it is you know and i want to say when i was reading it there were times when my, I mean, I, as a woman, um, who experienced this kind of crap 
in my career uh, before there was any name for it. There, I mean, the even concept of sexual harassment (laughs) was not even so. I mean, it it was just a field day for men then, with you know, young, lovely women being let out of their constraints and allowed for the first time into the workforce in ways that they never had. And my God, what some of us old ladies uh, endured being sort of in the first phalanx is it it brought back so much. I even still have, I kept letters. I kept one I have uh, of um, my freshman English teacher Mm -hmm. um, who handed back a paper I'd written and he had scrawled on the backs of it. I mean, it's like seven pages of this crazed thing coming at me and then insisting that I meet him at a certain place that he had to set me straight and blah, blah, blah. And this was just constant that a kid, I mean, I was 18 years old. Yeah. Would be set upon by a man with great power over me. Yeah. Um, and there was no sense in my head that it was even wrong. I, right. So at least right. at least these women have the knowledge that this is not right, which gives them some power. But well, I think wow. what's so interesting about the story is that the women that really appeared to come forward and like, or, or even the other people that helped, you know, lodge complaints against them is that these were women that were, you know, uh, you know, essentially in relationships with Foucault. So they basically got to know and understand over the years that he was abusing them, you know, mentally. And, right. and right. so that's when they finally like, it like realized. So I can't even, I can't even fathom potentially how many women that yeah. were just like the last person I spoke to for my story, Emily Petsko, who, who, who was, um, you know, uh, given too many drinks and basically refused his advances, but felt like, like obviously felt harassed and, 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 you know, come upon by, you know, by folk. I can't even imagine how many women potentially that there are like that with Fuoco and maybe even a lot of other men. I don't know. Oh, you, yeah. you can't even, oh, yeah. you can't even, understand yeah. because there were, because there were a lot of people who were warned about Fuoco and, and it was an informal complaint. It was from someone like that, but they knew they, I don't know. They had an idea and it was just like, Oh, well, so, okay, we can't really do anything. It's like, no, we have to do something. Just talk to these, talk to these women, talk to these college educated women. One of the most striking quotes from my story was one of the women who ended up getting a relationship with Fuoco, you know, she was 22. She was impressible. She, she, she wanted to become a successful journalist, you know, which is a really hard field to become a you know success in. And, and, you know, she said, you know, I was in a relationship with Mike and I thought I loved him, but if someone would have talked to me, if an adult would have spoken to me about it, you know, I don't know what I would have said, you know, you know, is basically what she said. And so we have to do something. We have to do something. So who, who, Brian, who were the adults that failed all these young women? Let's just go to, I mean, we know at the newspaper, obviously, 
from right. both uh, fellow employees and uh, you know the guild, um, the the management of management. Uh, the the Post Gazette, and but what about uh, the universities, Point Park and right. Pitt? So yeah, so it started. So everything kind of started at Point Park technically. So. Mike was invited to speak to a class at Point Park sometime in the early 2000, 2001, 2002. And um, there is where he kind of started to put his moves on, on students. Uh, and he, you know, um, that's kind of, I guess, where he got his, yeah, start with the universities. Uh, he, you know, he, he, he hit on women at a bar. He tried to buy people drinks. He did all these other things. He ended up getting in a relationship with a woman um, from, from that kind of first encounter um, then he was hired, but, um, so no warnings yet, but then he was hired at Pitt. And so he's hired as an adjunct at Pitt and he was then started juggling multiple women. Right. And mm-hmm. eventually somebody, uh, from what my reporting says, that multiple people reached out to Pitt there, there was a student who I spoke to, and uh, you know, a former student who I spoke to, um, you know, he was the ex, he was the boyfriend of one of the students that ended up getting a relationship with Fuoco that she left him for basically. So she brought up, you know, sorry, he, he went to the university and made a complaint and said, Fuoco is manipulative and he's giving these students drugs basically. So there was one person there. I don't like the university did not confirm who that was. And the student that I spoke to couldn't remember exactly who he reached out to. This was in 2002. And uh, so there was that, but then I spoke to the then uh, head of the English department, and he said he received another complaint from someone else that wasn't a student. So that's at least two people. Then Pitt said they got two complaints. So that could have been those two complaints, but they said that two complaints, it's a little confusing, that you know two complaints weren't from students. So there's potentially three complaints that were given to Pitt. And so yeah. uh, eventually, my sources said that he was let go from Pitt. Pitt didn't confirm that, so we might have just quit. I have no idea. Um, he was like, go from Pitt. This was in the mid 2000s, basically around like 2005, 2000, like that area. So, so he got three complaints against them. He was either let go and, or, you know, resigned from his adjunct job uh, at Pitt. But then in 2010, he was rehired by Point Park. And so this is really where the story is like, where is the communication between these things? If you have a professor who is allegedly getting into manipulative relationships with students, and giving them drugs. Wouldn't you want to tell every other university in the state, possibly, like, uh, you know, you know, at least in the region, that, hey, this guy, there's something iffy about him. We, you know, we, 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 we don't have solid evidence or blah, 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 blah. But, you know, you might just want <laughs> yeah, to think about no, that. No, it's just know? really, ama- it's amazing. And uh, so it's, just a, then, it's just amazing. Right. And then, so he's hired at Point Park, um, a student, you know, a former student, then lodged a complaint to Point Park, and they, you know, they actually respond pretty quickly to it. And, you know, and this is in 2011. Um, and then uh, they don't re- they don't renew his contract. Right. So they don't fire him. Right. No, they just don't no. renew his contract, which is like yeah. the easiest thing to do, because like adjunct professors have like no union. Right. And like, that's right. And, and it leaves no real record. You just, you know, right. that's it. Exactly. Right. There's no record as well. Right. Right. That one of the Point Park students is interning with Mike at the PG. Why didn't they tell the PG, Lynn? I don't understand how the point, how Point Park can't have said, hey, 
just FYI, we let go. We didn't renew Mike's contract because he had an allegation of inappropriate behavior with students and sexual misconduct against him. Just wanted to let you know, Post Gazette, because he still works there. You know, like isn't that the woman that became pregnant? No, um, that's not the, who can take. No. I can't keep track, but I, 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 I thought. But, but it's, right. So, do you think that the Point Park at this point? doesn't give a damn except to shield itself from any, uh, you know, civil liability that might be coming its way. Right. Yeah. I, I, you know, I assume so. Um, I, you know, and I, you know, obviously there's no requirements to report other people because these are all, these are all adults, right? It's not the Sandusky law or anything oh. like that. Obviously this, 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 this happened oh, to all, man. um, you know, all, all, you know, all this is being revealed you know, post that law anyway. And so we obviously in Pennsylvania have incredibly strict now, you know, requirements for minors um, and yeah. in schools and in libraries and all these other you know, situations. But, you know, what I was, you know, really kind of thinking about and what someone said to me for the story was that like, there's got to be some kind of communication between universities, you know, has to be something. If you're letting these adjunct, if you're letting an adjunct like Cuoco just kind of go around and like, you know, um, yeah. potentially yeah. use his power to, you know, get into sexual relationships with students. That's just, what do you do? You have to do, you have to do something when, like, I don't know. Okay. Well, I want to leave this particularly re- awful uh, man abusing his power to go to another. And that is um, this uh, Pittsburgh cop whose name, just because I've right. been in news in this city for a long time, the name of Paul Abel it yeah. seems to me to have constantly popped up in the last 20 years or so, maybe yeah. even more. Yeah. Tell yeah. me about this guy who we still don't know if he's fired or not. This is a Pittsburgh police officer. Yes. Hello? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, Sorry. go ahead, Brian. <laughs> Sorry. I just, um, I just pulled out for a second there. Yes, Paul Abel is a Pittsburgh police officer. He's had uh, dozens, potentially maybe more, you know, complaints filed against him for his behavior. He was once um, charged with, uh, you know, assault that uh, um, for using uh, his uh, weapon as a pistol whip that he hit somebody mm-hmm. with. And then the gun went off and actually hit someone in the leg, I think, or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, non-fatally. Um, but uh, yeah, he, you know, those charges were dropped and he was let back onto the force. And then uh, this summer, he arrested someone in Squirrel Hill outside the farmer's market because someone was asking about his mask, which was a Blue Lives Matter mask, which is a pro-police um, movement, which has actually been co-opted by extremists in our country. And uh, he ended up throwing that person to the ground, shouting at him. This is all caught on tape. Um and he was being investigated for, for that incident. And then uh, WPXI recently reported that uh, Abel was recently off the job, apparently for a, a, another encounter with a homeless person, potentially. Um, yeah. And, and uh, they, um, the you know, TV station was reporting that he'll likely be fired, but that hasn't been confirmed yet. Um, so, uh, but it, the it, list on this guy is, Abel, is yeah. it over the years, I mean, this clearly was a rogue cop who has enjoyed constant uh, employment. Uh, yeah. What does it take? He has to kill someone, I guess. And um, even then you don't know because you end up back on the force. Yes, um, it takes 
in, in, an incredible amount because um, because of the arbitration clause that exists for police officers. Police officers are not allowed to go on strike in the state of Pennsylvania. And so right. in lieu of that union right, they have um, this arbitration um, uh, you know, ability when they are disciplined. And, and for fired. some reason, arbitrators always seem to find for the cop. What is that about? It does, it, it does, feel that way. It does seem almost impossible. It's kind of incredible that after the pistol whip situation, um, even if he wasn't technically charged, that that's not yeah. a, eh, maybe something because he was off duty. He wasn't even on duty when he did that. And, and, uh, um, there's just so many complaints. You would think that this is it. And, you know, maybe, maybe Paul is now fired, but, but at the same time, well, I don't know what arbitration is going to bring up, you know, uh, exactly. so it's just well, one of those so, situations where, yeah. It, it, you know, um, have you ever seen the movie waiting for Superman, Lynn, the movie about teachers, uh, um, it's a, it's oh. a, it was a movie. Yeah. It's about, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a really big movie. Uh, I watched it and you know, sometime in the two thousands, um, in hindsight, I realized it's a very anti-union movie because it just like drags the teachers' unions as <laughs> like these like terrible people. And it has this phrase called "Dance of the Lemons" that it coins, where basically like bad teachers um, can't yeah. get fired because of the right. union, so they just dance around to other schools. And I'm wondering like why that phrase hasn't been applied to police officers. to the police because it seems like the same exact situation. Well, um, but like, even we have a case are like killing people and and then like abusing well, people, whereas like. Police officers are killing people and abusing people and abusing their power. And uh, we, Michael Fuoco, another guy in a position of power doing all that, and nothing happens. Right. And the victims just keep piling up. Um, so I noted, and um, speaking of the police, that, uh, you know, it's budget time. And yeah. the city council voted to take what millions of dollars out of the, yeah. and this is out of what Peduto was give, wanting to give them. Right, right. It's a, it's, Tell me about it's, that. Yes, it's a little complicated, but so basically, the the city council decided to um, shift five million dollars, five point three million dollars away from the police into public safety, which is kind of the same department anyway, but to this stop the violence fund. But, you know, it's a little confusing. It, you know, it is technically away from the police department, so it doesn't give them the broad ability to use that fund. But the stop the violence fund is really just a community policing initiative. Um, so it, it's kind of taking it away from the police, but it's also not totally not really. away from them, if that makes okay. sense. And, 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 and also to say that you know, five million is not that much. It's about five percent decrease, whereas advocates were calling for fifty percent, which is obviously very large, but still, it's not huge. Um, or and like is there that. any uh, indication that the mayor will, uh, you know, not go along I, with this? No, I believe that he will um, sign it. I think. I think. I'm not sure about the vote for um, the shift in the police funding, but the vote for another shift of funding was unanimous. So even if he doesn't go along with it, he's okay. Like, he's the majority. So. The um, other thing sure I want to talk to, something. okay, the other sure. thing I want to get in here is what the hell is going on with the administration of the Allegheny County Jail, yeah. which is, <laughs> if I'm reading correctly, is hell on earth. Right. What um, yeah. in the name of God is going on? Is the warden Harper 
that, uh, I mean, incapable of doing the job? Or is he lacking the funds to do his job? I mean, the yeah, last thing I read question. about, the last thing I read about was um, how almost I, the medical staff there, I mean, yeah. people stay for like a day or two and say, I'm getting the hell out of here. I can't right. do my job. So there's right. these poor prisoners, most of whom do need you know, inmates, me- inmates mental health care, all this kind of stuff. They're getting nothing. And this, right. while they're all in solitary confinement, essentially, because of the pandemic. COVID, right. Yeah. Okay, so, so you know, what the hell? Problems, yeah, try to get into this quick. Um, healthcare problems at the jail have been a long-term problem. I don't, uh, but five years ago, they had, uh, or maybe even six or seven years ago, they hired a private contractor to take that over, right. Horizon right. Health. That yeah. was a total disaster. Um, right. They ended up having to short that contract. Then they uh, brought it in-house with help from Allegheny Health Network to do it. But obviously, not all those problems are being solved at all. It sounds like it's um, well. It sounds understaffed. Know, a, 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 like there's not yeah. an, there's nowhere near the yeah. kind and, of and, you know. Honestly, Lynn, that might be the next bigger story. And I gotta say, Public Source has been really leading the way on this coverage. So if people are interested in that, I would I would I would lead them to them they've been really doing enough public source right great stories right right and um yeah that uh it 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 might be that they might need more funds for it because the jail does have a pretty large population for our area i think it's usually around like 2,000 to 2,500 people um i should also want to just you know note and this isn't i'm not trying to you know belittle the problems of the jail because they're numerous and they're and and they need to be addressed but jails and prisons are not the same thing just you know just for your listeners that jails are where you are accused of a crime or charged with a crime and then either if you can't make bail or if you don't have a bail because uh it's a you know it's a violent crime which they usually don't assign bails to um then you are in the jail and usually the average stay of people in the jail is about uh, a week um, and then sometimes much longer, sometimes people are in there for, you know, a year or two, which is like a, you know, a very, a long year time. or two before they've been right. convicted. Correct. Okay. Yeah. I don't right. think people right. do understand that. That, that place they, is filled yeah, with people prison, who have not been convicted. You... Right. Correct. Correct. And poor so, people, and so excuse people... me, poor people yeah. who can't right. make bail, rich right. people make bail. Right. Exactly. And, and, and. And this is a huge problem. This is why, you know, no cash bail reform has been such a huge talking point on the criminal justice side. And there's a lot of magistrate judges up this year for election. So I'm going to be right about this later, but people really need to think about who they're going to vote for magistrate court this year, 2021, or sorry, next year, 2021. These guys have incredible power, incredible power. Because if you don't give someone cash bail, if you say no cash bail, just come you know, come to your next court case, they're not going to go to the jail. And so that's huge. That is huge. That's how you really lower the jail population. But anyway, that, the, you know, the healthcare problems are terrible. The, the, you know, um, you know, the mental health um, has always been inadequate at the jail. And it seems like that is even more the case now. Um, sure. And you're talking about poor people who are convicted of crimes and are usually have mental health issues. You, Right. You know, problems and all these. Other I've things. got so mental health issues and it. I'm not I'm convicted yeah. of a crime. I could be. I could have right. been and, convicted of right. marijuana my entire life, but I'm a white right. person. So no problem. 
Right. And, and I just think that, you know, you're really bringing up a, you know, really big point. Maybe it is more money. Maybe it is more attention. I think that's what the advocates are doing a pretty darn good job at is kind of showing that it's like, Hey, maybe we do need to pay more attention to this issue. I think it is going to be interesting how, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the County at large and uh, its voters and conservative voters really think about this issue, but maybe there is a consensus here to be like, we do need to put more money into the jail to help solve some of these problems to keep less people out of jail, which will have a bigger, broader effect to right. um, help, help, help solve these problems. Right. Yeah. Whoa. Well, we covered a lot of ground. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you, Lynn. I, you know, I really appreciate it. And, you know, um, um, bringing up these issues is really important. So I'm, yeah, I'm really happy. You, uh, you know, okay. Out. Well, you keep up the, keep up the good work and, uh, I hope someday to see you again. I, I, I do too. We're going to have to celebrate. <laughs> I know. Okay. Thanks, <laughs> Ryan. Right, okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, okay, guys. Uh, that'd be it for me. Um, and uh, I will uh, be back tomorrow. I'm looking at the snow. And unlike most people, I want lots of it because I really don't have to navigate it. But uh it makes everything so much prettier, doesn't it? <laughs> anyway, whatever. Uh, talk to you tomorrow. Bye. Lynn Cullen Live, Monday through Friday from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. and archived at pghcitypaper.com. The opinions expressed on Lynn Cullen Live are those of the host and do not necessarily reflect the viewpoints of Pittsburgh City Paper or its advertisers.